I'm going to go ahead and uh, jump right into it because we've got another session coming up after this one, and then we'll do the uh, panel discussion. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll jump right into this lesson. Lord God, love you. Thank you for this opportunity to meet together, and uh, God, I pray that by your spirit we'd be encouraged and built up, and that you'd be exalted, and that you would um, be exalted in using us for your glory, that you'd use us in the lives of students and parents, and that our churches would be strengthened, um, God, to, to grow up into maturity, into you, our, our head, and to reach the nations, our communities, and, our, and the nations with, with the gospel, so that the name of Jesus would be known and proclaimed and worshiped. Uh, Lord, we love you. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so um, if you were here this past summer, uh, I taught a, a session called Christ the Cornerstone, and this um, both kind of uh, expands uh, one point that we made there. There was a list of uh, points that we made in that breakout. Um, and then also really expanding a couple points from Brody's message last night, um, highlighting the role of teaching, preaching um, God's Word, how we handle God's Word, then specifically how we do that um, with students. So just want to, uh, as a way of refreshing um, our minds, earlier Sean uh, read from the, the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28. So I want to read that and make some points. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, the Lord said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, some just awesome command, right? Weighty command to, to make disciples. And I loved how Sean said this earlier where he talked about gospeling people and this idea of, because they're, they're both right here, where the, when we talk about baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that, that assumes that they've heard the gospel, right? That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They've heard the gospel. They've repented. They've trusted in Christ. And so the lost are being gospeled. And then he says, yeah, and then teach them all that I've commanded you, right? Jesus gives us this huge responsibility to that one people become believers, that they would be instructed in all that Jesus taught us, right? All he taught us from his word and then his life, the way that he spoke, what he spoke and how he lived, that we were to follow that. Um, so huge responsibility placed on us, uh, as a pastor, but then as a small group leader, Sunday school teacher, anybody who would, and then, you know, take the earlier points from Sean's message as well on in the home, right? To teach and raise up our kids one day, well, one day for me, maybe already for you, uh, grandkids, right? And that, that we would take this seriously um, to handle God's word. So I do want to point back to the pastoral epistles where we were um, last night. And I think... For anybody in ministry, it's essential to, that we never get too far away from uh, Timothy and Titus, right? To always be refreshing our minds with those commands because they are there. I mean, it is God's instructions to us on how we're to do this. And we know, right, that the pastoral epistles are the main theme of those books is right belief, right doctrine, right? He keeps emphasizing, yeah, teach sound doctrine. And as well, he emphasizes and live it out, like right beliefs, right conduct, right? And those two things shouldn't be separated because the occasion that he's writing these letters is that 
Yeah, I mean, there's false teachers. There's false teachers that these young pastors are guarding their flocks against. And he's saying, yeah, so expose their error, both in what they teach and how they live. And then he'll come back and say, so you, to expose that, really what you need to do is preach sound doctrine and then be an example. Preach it and live it out. And so that's the, the theme of the pastoral epistles. So for us as in ministry, I mean, that's our, our lifeblood is to not ever, to never get far away from that, to always have that on the forefront of our mind. Um, so Second Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker has no need to be ashamed. So right here, he's, he's given this charge and he's saying, do your best, right? Work hard. We looked at that a lot last night to work hard at this. Why? Because we're, we're going to answer to God. We're going to answer to God to be approved before God for what we teach, but not just what we teach, but how we live, right? I mean, we know from James, let not many of you become teachers. Why? Knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. That's that's weighty, right? I mean, that should, that should, I, I think there's a, most nights in our life, if we're pursuing Jesus, at some point, if we're trusting in God, controlling and ordering and working out his plan for the universe, we should be able to put our head on the pillow and go to sleep, right? But there should be other nights, occasionally, where we wake up and think, now I'm going to receive a stricter judgment. Because it's not this, it's not just in what we teach, right? This, it's not just in walking away from a Wednesday night or I walk off the stage in twenty minutes and think, oh, was that? Did I handle the scripture well? Did I, did I make clear points? Did I communicate? Did I make eye contact? Did people stay engaged? Was that guy sleeping or praying for me? Like, you know, that's not the game. I'm not just going to receive a stricter judgment for what I say now, I'm going to receive a stricter judgment because of what I say now and how I live the rest of my life in light of what I studied and what I taught. That's huge. Like, so that we, we need to feel this weight that we're going to answer to God for how we minister. So do your best. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So the rightly handling the word of truth, again, in getting the right meaning, right? So he's saying, okay, what are we, what are we going to work hard on? Finding the right meaning of the scripture, right? That we work hard to get the right interpretation to, from the scripture, get the right, what, what God intended in that passage, getting the right meaning, and then living accordingly. So both, right? Um, so he's saying this. Um, uh, let me read this quote to you. This is from a guy named Mounts, uh, maybe... I don't know if that's actually how you say his name, but you guys can't even see what's written on my paper. So, yeah, Mount said this. Timothy must take pains to conduct himself properly. This involves being tested and found to be a true worker, unashamed of his work, correctly teaching and living the message of the gospel. It involves striving to be an honorable vessel for the master, fleeing youthful passions and pursuing those qualities not found in the opponents, right? So in opposition to the false teaching, who they teach false things and they live immorally. So Timothy is to teach truth and live righteously. 
Those qualities not found in the opponents, qualities such as righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And listen to this. So this, in that same chapter, earlier on, because he said, he's saying, do your best, work hard. Earlier in the chapter, he says this, in, in chapter 2, 3 through 7. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share in the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. He's telling him, work hard, do your best. And he's already given him, this is, this is what it looks like to work hard. He gives him these examples. A farmer, an athlete, and a soldier. And then he says, now think about this. Think about what I'm saying to you. Man, it's this picture of, okay, in doing this, in rightly handling the word of God, and how I preach, how I teach, whether that's Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school, small group setting, discipleship group, life group, C group, B team, whatever, whatever it is that you're over, right? Man, do your best, work hard. And think about how, I mean, these examples he gives us. When the farmer doesn't show up on the day of harvest, right? That's, doesn't show up and walk out to a field and expect to just pick up a tomato, right? The soldier doesn't show up for battle, you know, with a, a sword rusted in its sheath and his belly hanging out over his belt thinking, all right, who, who are we taking out today? I mean, the athlete, right? No one shows up for the Super Bowl after having missed training. Well, they should. I guess some of them do. Missed training camp, right? They hold out. And they, those guys always get hurt in the first couple of weeks, right? Yeah. Like, man, there's, there's training camp. They're working out all year long for that moment, right? That their success is directly linked to what happens behind the scenes that no one sees, right? When the farmer gets up before the sun comes up and is out in the field working, right? The, the farmer, I mean, in modern times, like, right, that's <laughs> got tools that help him determine the pH balance of the soil. What does that mean? I don't know. I, I know that if I jump in the pool and the pH is wrong, my eyes burn. But for soil, man, I don't know. I don't know. That's hard work. These guys are figuring these things out. Right, the, the soldier that pushes himself and trains and trains and trains so that on the day of battle he can be successful. The athlete that pushes his body, pushes his mind, develops his skill. Paul said, man, work like that, right? If you're going to open God's word and teach it, there's going to be a stricter judgment. Don't, don't do this for anything but to please the one who enlisted you. We're going to answer to God for how you handle his word, both in how you teach it and then how you live it afterwards. What you do with it in your relationships with your, with your spouse, with your kids. I'm saying work hard. Work hard. Be diligent. So, Timothy is to work diligently, train and cultivate in order to interpret the word of God. So he's not ashamed before God. So... And working hard to arrive at the right meaning, right? To get the, the right meaning, to take the word of God and not read into it, but to see, okay, what, what is God saying in this text? What is the point that God intends for me to have to work hard towards that, towards that aim? So, 
how do we do this? What, what's the best model? How do we approach the study of God's word? How do we do the hard work? What is this going to look like practically? Um, first, I, I want to walk through some, just some uh, terminology briefly. I know for most everyone here, this is, this is review, but just want to walk through these terms. Um, so sometimes you hear people say hermeneutics, right? And that just means the working out of rules and methods for interpreting a scriptural text, right? Taking like that there's guidelines that you're going to follow in order to determine, okay, how do we know what this means? Um, exegesis, determining the meaning of a text in context, drawing out the meaning from the text, not reading into it, seeking to know what God said, right? So this is not just coming to a passage of scripture and reading it and paying no attention to what is the book that it's in or the focus of the book or the testament that it's in or the occasion, the background. You don't want to leave all that behind and just leave it to what do I already know? What presuppositions do I have in my mind? What do I think these words mean? And then read my own understanding into the text, right? So we want to avoid that um, with that, this, this discipline. Interpretation, determining the text meaning and the implication of it for today, okay? So interpreting it and then the application. Application is taking the meaning and the implication and then charging, encouraging, exhorting, rebuking, commanding ourselves and those who hear us, right? So that we do the hard work, get the right meaning, interpret it, understand it, and then so I can apply that. I know how to exhort from that point. So briefly, even more briefly, maybe not, it may be longer, but we'll see what happens. Um, some methods of teaching. So... and. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but man, there's so much freedom in this, right? Like there's so much freedom in when we really see what the Bible says about how to handle it. There's safety when we are in the text and we're ruled by the text and we're saying what God has already said. And we've done the hard work to know that we're safe there. And then there's so much freedom in, man, I, I don't have to preach this like Brody preached last night. Right? I don't have to compare myself to somebody else's style or method, right? That I can, I can be safe if I'm doing it the way God said to do it. And then where he didn't give like specific commands on how to, how to preach, then I can be myself, right? I, I can, if I'm submitting myself to the text, submitting myself to the spirit, and there's so much freedom in how I do this. But um, some methods, some methods of preaching. And really, I think only one is... Uh, I'm only going to throw one under the bus pretty hard. The rest of them, I think, are can be good and can be bad, depending on how we do the hard work. Uh, so the first one is anecdotal. Um, this is where a preacher tells stories with moral lessons. Uh, so this is maybe, I think, we've, we've used the David and Goliath a couple times already this weekend, but this is where you would take David and Goliath, right? You, you, you read that story, and then you say... And so what are the giants in your life? Are you facing the giant of depression? Are you facing the giant of persecution or hemorrhoids? What giant are you staring in the face, right? Like, and, and, then, and then, yeah, to, to go from there into your own, like, uh, you know, I know my people are experiencing this, this, and this, and those are the giants in their life. Giants... I remember giant 
David and Goliath. And then you use that story to give them moral principles to live life better. And I mean, that's so dangerous, right? One, because you could preach that same sermon with Jack and the Beanstalk, right? <laughs> it is not dependent on the word of God because that is not the main point of the narrative of David and Goliath, right? And so there's so much danger there. But okay, so anecdotal, biographical. Um, this is a method of you trace the life of a biblical character and draw contemporary moral implications. Um, you know, take the life of Joseph and look at uh, some, something wrong up there. Point it out. Oh, like, yeah, like, well, because some of you are going to use illustrative uh, tools in teaching. If it's small kids, you know, you may actually draw a picture of Joseph. Oh, not even that draw. Dang it. There's too many. So you want to do the hard work. Do the hard work to make sure you're using not even the right, like, Greek words. <laughs> English is hard enough. Um, laugh amongst yourselves. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Uh, <laughs> and Sean's the one that's making fun of me. That's what's really funny. Um, <laughs> Colonel. Colonel. Okay. Um, quit laughing. Let me think. <laughs> um, and draw, draws moral implications. And so this can be great, right? I mean, to, to examine the life of a biblical character. Um, the danger here is that we uh, zero in only on the, the human character and maybe miss the bigger picture that we should be learning from Joseph's life. Isn't so much about Joseph as it is about how he uh, interacts with God and ultimately how this is a foreshadowing picture of who Jesus is and what salvation means and how that's revealed and fulfilled in the New Testament. Um, but man, well, yeah, it's a great tool. Um, topical, right? Probably the most popular, the most well-known to, to topically teach. This is a, a sermon that focuses on a specific topic. This could be doctrinal, could be cultural, age-specific, um, specific. I'm so insecure right now. <laughs> I can't talk. Because um, this could, I mean, wide range, right? To, to teach topically, that's fine. I mean, the, the main point is, in whatever method we choose, and the last one being through books of the Bible, and I put that all in bold because it's my favorite, um, to just teach through books of the Bible, right? So whatever method you take, and here in this ministry, we primarily teach at Snowbird, we primarily teach topically, that, that we're going to have a focus, we're going to have, um, you know, certain things that we're teaching. Right now, I'm teaching topically on teaching, right? Earlier, you know, Sean's talking about discipleship in the home, and he's doing that as a topic that he's covering. Now, the point is, whether you're teaching through a book of the Bible, or you're looking at a character, or you're covering a topic, the issue always comes back to rightly handling the Word of God. Rightly handling the word of God. Now, I said my favorite is teaching through books of the Bible because, and we do this in the, the church that I, uh, I'm a part of, is because, man, it, it's safe. It's safe to, to be in the context of that book and to work through chapter by chapter, sometimes, you know, paragraph by paragraph, sometimes just verse by verse, sometimes, man, just maybe a couple words. But you get into that context and you're safe there as you work through. Um, but there's always the danger of not doing the hard work and infusing meaning into the text that's simply not there. 
and drawing out, and the danger is that if we do that, if we're infusing meaning that's not into the text, we're going to draw the wrong implications out. And then we're going to apply Scripture incorrectly to our lives. The danger is that if we are getting the Scripture wrong, we're not getting the right meaning. And, and, and when we teach the Bible to students, if we're getting the wrong meaning, we're misrepresenting God. We're misrepresenting Christianity. And over time, little misrepresentations will lead to a corruption of major doctrine. And it'll lead to a breakdown of how this student understands how to go to God's word. The danger is that if we're always handling the scripture loosely without doing the hard work, if we're not, if we're not doing what, what we call exposition of making the, making the main point, uh, Mark Dever, nine marks are familiar with him. He, he says this so clearly, where you take the main point of the text to be the main point of the sermon so that doing the hard work, the, the farmer, the soldier, the athlete, that picture in your mind, doing the hard work to make sure that we're immersed in the text to get the right meaning. And if we don't do that, we're leaving students so vulnerable because they're going to primarily learn how to handle the Word of God by the way that we handle the Word of God, right? Man, and God willing, they've got awesome parents. But, you know, we talked about that. But, man, for a lot of students, we know that we're the only avenue that they're hearing the Word of God from. And if we're constantly handling it loosely, giving it our own meaning to it, going to it topically in the sense of, always just trying to solve problems, then yeah, that the, the Bible then becomes, you know, the drugstore, right? Where you go to fill a prescription to, to solve a problem. Then that's not the Bible. Is there, is there something wrong that when some, an issue comes up in life that you go to the Bible to solve it? No, no, that's good. But that's not primarily how we should approach Scripture. We should approach Scripture to come under its authority so that our minds are renewed and we're conformed to the image of Jesus. And that that is our daily, weekly practice that we come to Scripture to be submissive to it, to come underneath the authority of what it is already saying. Then when issues and problems arrive in, in our life, yeah, it's not a matter of scrambling to find a verse that fills that need. It's, it's we're already standing on a firm foundation of the Word of God. Right, So that when that trial or that temptation crashes into our life, we stand firm on the Word of God that has already been meditated on and, and, and memorized and saturating our lives. Making sense? By any other corrections to be made, please let Sean know and he'll edit my PowerPoint. Should have shot the gun. Okay. Um, let me read some of these other dangers. Uh, read through. I want to make sure I didn't skip anything. Um, a danger of compromising the text to make or support your point. Um, this perversion of the text will lead to a distortion of a doctrine and misrepresentation of God. Um, the danger is that students become dependent on somebody else to tell them what the Bible means. Uh, here's what I mean by that. I think if we consistently teach expositionally, whether topical, whatever method... If you consistently, every time we handle the Word of God, if we're simply laying open that truth and, and showing that, man, this is, where, this is what God is saying here, rather than just 
having a point and grabbing some scripture to kind of, you know, throw at them to say, see, what I'm saying is from the Bible and just kind of like spreading scripture around. But if we're just always opening the Bible and saying, here, see what God says, see what he means by what he says, here's the context. If we're always unfolding that form, man, they're going to be able to themselves go to the scriptures, read it in its context. They'll be able to listen to other people stand up and say that they're speaking from the authority of God's word and be able to discern, oh, no, that's not what that means. That passage doesn't mean that. Man, so that they won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, right? When they leave our ministries and are sitting in a, a campus ministry or sitting in a professor's you know, classroom in college who's attacking everything you've ever told them, right? And, and taking scripture out of context and pointing out contradictions, they can say, oh, that's not what that means, right? Why? Because they know how to go to the word of God. They know they, they've watched you do it week in and week out. As you rightly divided the word of God, not only did you teach them truth from that passage, you taught them how to go to the word of God to see and to say what's true. Um, all right. First Timothy 4.13. First Timothy 4.13. So good. I love it. I lo- ah, this is clear. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by, the prof- by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Man, it's an awesome passage. So thankful. Man, does it, it's not easy, right? He's still saying things like, devote yourself practice these things, immerse yourself. It's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of hard work. But man, you see, do you see the freedom in this? And he didn't say, you know, move your congregation to tears or make people laugh or, you know, I mean, he's not saying do this just like I do this. He's not saying you have to be the next Billy Graham, John Piper, or Wesley, or Spurgeon, or whoever your, your favorites are. Like, he's not saying be like them. He's saying do this. You, you've been called, you've been gifted, you have this ministry, so do this. Be devoted to publicly reading the scripture, to exhortation, to doctrine. Three things. And then there's so much freedom. If we're doing those things, there's so much freedom in being who God has called us to be in ministry. This is, uh, again, from Mounts. The focus of Timothy's attention as he ministers to the Ephesian church should be Scripture. It's public reading, the exhortation for the people to follow its teaching, and the doctrinal exposition of its meaning. Okay? So, um, MacArthur said this. I, I, I appreciate John MacArthur. He, he's, a, he's offensive, I think, because he... But the, why he's offensive is why I like him. Because he talks to you like you're stupid. I appreciate that. You know why? Because then I understand what he's saying. <laughs> like, thank you. Thank you for knowing your audience, John MacArthur. So he says this. We have three things. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? That's textual criticism. That's involved in what's the right text. What are the right terms? So right, just read the scripture. Read the scripture. What does the Bible say? Number two. What does the Bible mean 
by what it says. This is often the missing ingredient. What does it mean? Paul says, till I come, give attention to reading. That's what it says. To doctrine. That's what it means by what it says. To exhortation. Number three, exhortation. That's how it applies. What does it say? What does it mean by what it says? And what does it, what does it mean for my life? How do I apply that to me? We have to have the interpretation, right? So, and oftentimes I think you see, you know, we read it. Well, some, sometimes we read it and we leave it and we never come back to it, right? Like, here's my main text. And then here are the thoughts I had on my drive to Atlanta the other day, right? But no, we, we read the text. And a lot of times when we, sometimes the temptation is to jump right to application. And we jump over, well, we got to tell them, we got to tell them what it means by what it says. So they, we can apply it correctly. Uh, sometimes we read it and then we give the meaning ah, and then we forget to apply it. And that's, I, I found myself here for a long time and the Lord really convicted me really in the study of, of this passage of, okay, I'm doing the hard work to, to find the meaning and then I'm, I'm walking away thinking, well, then everyone should be able to figure this out. And what that exposed in my life was, okay, I'm, I'm preparing to teach, but I'm not doing well knowing who I'm teaching to. Because the more that I not only am studying this, immersing myself in it, getting the right meaning so I can apply it to my own life, that the more that I really truly do that, that I should be then burdened that I'm getting the right meaning for my people, for those I'm shepherding, right? That, that, that this isn't just a matter of intellectually knowing the truth. Like, yeah, I'm going to answer to God for this in light of shepherding. And so I need to know my people. Now, there, I think there is a danger of going, okay, what am I going to preach this year? What's everybody going through? And trying to, me be the Holy Spirit to put my finger on the pulse of everyone's life and then teaching in light of that. But I think it is absolutely biblical to study the text and to know what it means and then also know my people and through the power of the Holy Spirit, have my finger on the pulse of what's going on in my people's lives so that when God reveals to me the truth of this passage and he wrecks me personally with it, that I can then say, man, this is what it looks like and, and apply it to the people who I, I know and I love and I'm relationally connecting with. The agenda Paul spells out for Timothy emphasizes the centrality of the text for theological correctness and includes not just a basic reading, but a fuller awareness of the text meaning that is gained through study, reflection, and devotion. Um, I am 53 seconds over time. I'm going to take two, two more minutes. All right. Um, so what do we do with this? How, do, how, do, how should we approach this? Okay. Uh, number one, devotionally. I'm going to go fast. I'm just going to read right from my notes. Devotionally. That we should come to the word to, to preach, to teach, Sunday school, small group, Wednesday night, big church, whatever it is, we should come to the text, we should come to the word of God in prayer. We should come to the word of God to know Jesus. We should come to have our minds saturated. That's really tiny, isn't it? Um, with a desire to know Jesus better, to have our minds transformed by the scripture, for meditation, to have our lives conformed to Jesus for wisdom to face trials and temptation, as well as to take advantage of the opportunities the Lord gives us for our own personal holiness, right? That we should, in sermon, lesson, preparation, come devotionally. And then, yes, the technical aspects of 
making sure we get the right meaning. Most of these, uh, on the next slide, is in light of getting the right meaning. Um, so prepare to work. How should we approach preaching and teaching? Prepared to work. Bible genre, right? To, to understand, okay, am I, am I teaching right now out of narrative, prophecy, poetry? Is this an epistle? That should change the way I view um, the, how I'm going to get into the context. Um, background, right? Language, location, where was this written? Um, author, audience, the time, the situation. All of that begins to form like how we're going to view what's being said, the meaning. Uh, context is king. So looking at the words, the sentences, the paragraphs, the thought, the theme of the book, uh, what testament was this written in, all of this. And this is the hard work, but also, I mean, this is, this is the gold. This is the immersing ourselves into the text. And what's awesome is, man, we have so many tools. We have so many tools to be able to do this. And I want to pause here and say, man, I know, I mean, some of, some of y'all are bivocational. Some of you are volunteer, right? And, man, so what, what, about, what about good tools like the Gospel Project, right? Or things like that. Is that okay to use? I, I think, yeah, man, there's awesome tools out there. You know, I, I use, I mean, I, I love commentaries. I, I study and I try to, the devotional aspect of my time with the Lord to, to come underneath the text. And, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crack three commentaries. And some people, they just legitimately, you don't have that time. To use a, a good tool, a trusted tool. Are there more bad, sketchy tools out there than the good ones? Yeah, I think so. But make it a good, trusted tool where yeah, somebody else has already done the background work and the language work and they, they know Greek and Hebrew and I'm thankful for that, right? And, and to, to glean from the work that somebody else has done for us. But what they don't know, right, what they can't do, they can't submit your heart and soul to Jesus so that you live it out at before and after you teach it, right? And they don't know your people. And that's the part that no matter what, use the tool. It doesn't excuse us from hard work. It doesn't excuse us from the hard work of personally submitting to the truth and knowing our people to know how to apply it to them. That's what tools can't do for us. Um, so I'm out of time. Uh, appreciate y'all. Um, preach the word. I'll pray for us. Lord Jesus, God, love you. Um, thank you for your grace. Thank you for uh, calling us to ministry and, and, and using flawed humans <laughs> that you would save us and call us and use us for your glory. God, I, I, I do pray that you be um, exalted and seeing each one of our ministries grow both in depth, that people would be discipled and grow in the knowledge of you and grow in their love for you. And also that we would grow numerically as we see people repent and trust in Christ for your glory. Christ's name. Amen.